Amen. Well, the scripture this morning comes from comes from John chapter 5. We've been going through a series of sermons on the idea of Sabbath. This morning we're looking at John chapter 5, verses 1 to 17. This is a reading of God's word. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethsaida, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? Sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, get up. Take up your bed and walk. And at once, the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now, that day was a Sabbath, so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It's a Sabbath. It's not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Then the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. Amen. This is the reading of God's word. Please join me in prayer. Father, we give you thanks for your word, which is life, which is truth, which is wisdom. Pray, God, that you would speak to us. We need to hear a word from you. So I pray by your spirit you would speak to us. Pray that you would work through your servant, your, that he would declare only what is true and lead us to see Jesus, for we desperately need him. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we've been going through a series of sermons, if you haven't joined us, and we've been looking at this idea of Sabbath, and we've been saying that the Sabbath, we want to bring it back. It's an ancient practice that goes all the way back from to Genesis, but we want to bring it back in fashion. And we need to bring it back in fashion because of how stressed and overworked so many of us are. Uh, some of us, as Brady Boyd says, are moving too fast for too long in too many places. And when we do that, we're going to burn out. I've been reading a book by David Murray. He has a book called Reset. And he says, there's some warning signs of burning out. Before you burn out, there's some signs that it's going to happen. Here, he lists some. He lists things like stress, difficulty sleeping. You're easily distracted. You're sad, pessimistic, hopeless. Your marriage is not what it once was. You avoid social occasions. You have very little joy in work. Murray says that those are all symptoms of someone who is about to burn out. Someone on the brink of collapse. One of the things that we've been saying is that God has given us a gift called the Sabbath in order to keep us from burnout. In a burnout culture, we desperately need the Sabbath because the Sabbath is a day to disconnect from all the things that has, have us dressed and to get back in the presence of God. It's a day of rest. 
It's a day of reconnecting. And today, the thing that we want to focus on today is the Sabbath is also a day to be healed. We're going to look at the idea that Jesus healed on the Sabbath. And we're going to look at uh, some truths from John chapter 5. We're going to look at how all of us, in some sense, are very broken people. We're all broken in some ways. And how God has given us a Sabbath to heal us. So as you look at John chapter 5, we want to look at three things. One, our need for healing. How Jesus is the great healer. He heals on the Sabbath. Finally, how Sabbath can be a day for us to heal. Heal all of our woundedness. And the first thing we're going to look at is this need for healing. Today we're looking at John chapter 5. I love the Gospel of John. It's the fourth gospel, and it was written by the apostle. And John, what he loves to do, in John chapter 5, he's Jesus is in the min- middle of his ministry. And John loves to show all these pictures of Jesus interacting with individuals. In John chapter 3, Jesus meets a high-ranking religious leader called Nicodemus. John chapter 4, Jesus meets a woman who is an outcast of society. She's been married multiple times. In John chapter 5, Jesus meets a very broken man who has a lot of issues. And what we see is that Jesus, he loves ministering to individuals. And here in John chapter 5, Jesus is, he visits Jerusalem during a festival. It's a religious festival. The city would have been crowded with people coming to celebrate, coming to worship. And instead of Jesus going to Jerusalem and visiting these places where high-ranking officials, all the somebodies of societies were, Jesus goes the opposite direction. He visits the place where a lot of outcasts were. It says in um, the first verses, he is by a pool where a multitude of people who are blind, lame, and paralyzed were. Uh, These were people who could not see, people who could not walk, people who could not feel. They're all at this pool. Why were they at this particular pool? And the answer is that this pool of water was freshly, it was connected to fresh streams. It was also connected to springs of water that would on occasion burst. And the rumor, it was a superstition, was that this pool had magical healing properties. That the angel of God would come and stir the water up. And the first one into the pool, when they saw it, they would be healed. Only the first people. It was a superstitious belief. And all of the the most broken people of society were attracted to this pool because of that elusive promise. And Jesus, as he gets to the pool, he sees a multitude of these men, but he focuses on one particular individual. Verse 5, there was a man, it says he was an invalid for 30 38 years. In the Gospel of John, Jesus loves to show how everyone has different layers in their life. John chapter 4, there's a woman who is thirsty. But we, we find out she is not just physically thirsty, but spiritually thirsty. This woman has all kinds of different layers. And John loves to show how every single human being has layers in their life. Uh, this man has layers. Uh, the first layer of his life is that he is physically bro- broken. In verse 5, it says he's been an invalid. And that word 
in the Greek is a very broad term. He's just a very physically broken man. We learn that he cannot get into the pool by himself. He has trouble walking. And this is a physical problem that lasted 38 years. That's a lifetime. A lifetime of suffering. Of being unable to move. But second, the second layer is that he's socially broken. In verse 7, when Jesus asks him, about his issues, he says this, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I'm going down, another steps down before me. And what we find out from this uh, little sentence is that he's very alone. He doesn't have any friends to help him. Uh, he's the very opposite of Mark chapter 2. In Mark chapter 2, there is a paralytic man He's in a very similar place, but he has four friends that pick him up and take him to Jesus. He's in contrast to that man. This man has no friends. He has no connections with people. He lives alone. One sign that you're broken is that you live a very isolated life. Uh, You don't have any deep and meaningful connections with people. This last week, just this last week, uh, there was a major study that was announced. And that study said that three of every five Americans today reported feeling left out, poorly understood, and lacking friends. Three of every five people said that they felt very isolated. They didn't have meaningful friendships. Uh, the numbers go up amongst men. Men more than women feel isolated. Uh, And it's also on the rise, especially amongst younger people, especially in their 20s, a growing sense of disconnection. Healthcare experts say that loneliness leads to all kinds of medical issues like anxiety and depression. Some people say it will become a healthcare crisis. It's a crisis that is both body and spirit. God created us to be connected. And when we're not connected, both our spirit and our body suffer because of it. The final layer of this man's life is that he's spiritually broken. You know, he was at this pool because he believed he was desperate, and he believed the superstition that this pool had magical healing properties. One of the problems with this man is he's looking for all he's looking for the answers in all the wrong places. You know, so many of us are like that. Uh, We're so desperate, we go looking for solutions in all the wrong places. It might be a faith healer. It might be a psychic or a medium. It might be believing in an untested, unproven drug, a miracle cure. Because we're so desperate. We're so desperate for help. But the biggest problem of this man's life in, in our life is that he can't see Jesus. One of the subtle things about how he... Uh, his problem is that when he sees Jesus, what does he call him? He doesn't call him rabbi, like so many other people who needed healing. Or Jesus, what does he call him? He calls him sir. And even after Jesus heals him, the religious leaders interrogate him. They said, who, who is the one who healed you? And he says, I have no idea who healed me. He has no idea who Jesus is. He's in the presence of God. And he doesn't know it. That's his ultimate problem. You know, ultimately the problem with all of us is that we cannot see and experience God. You know, if you believe God, God is omnipresent. That means he's everywhere. 
And our greatest problem is that we can't see or experience God. He is present, but we're so disconnected from him. The man in John chapter 5, he's not some sad man that we should feel sorry for. But what John is trying to tell us is that that man is all of us. That man is all of us. We're physically broken. How many of us suffer from physical illness? How many of us are physically broken and have injuries? We're socially isolated like this man. How many of us have deep and meaningful relationships? Finally, we're spiritually blind and numb, just like this man. How many of us regularly experience the presence and power of God in our lives? I was talking to a young uh, 20-something man a couple weeks ago, and he's not religious. And I was talking to him about his life, and he was telling me, he was opening up to me about his experience of relationships in the tender age. And he was telling me that he was just really open about everything. And he told me something, he said to me, that everyone, including himself, and everyone that he knows, all the other guys in his life, are sex addicts. That took me aback. It took me a a second. And I told him, but you know what? In one sense, you know, we're all addicts. It can be of approval, or it could be sex. It could be prescription drugs, or it could be work. And I told him, you know what? We're all addicts of something. And we all, we all need a savior. You know, we all need healing, don't we? And instead of pushing him away, I wanted to draw him in. I wanted them to say, you know, that's all of us. That we're desperately in need of healing. And here's the good news, and this is the second point. Jesus comes to us as a Sabbath healer. Uh, Jesus comes into this broken place. And as we said before, he doesn't get all these guys together and give a big sermon. We probably think that that's what Jesus would probably do. No, but he individually talks to this man. You know, all of us have specific issues in our life. And Jesus speaks to him. And he draws him in. One of the things that I love about Jesus, he loves to ask questions. Think about it. Jesus knew everything He doesn't need to ask questions. Uh, But he asks this man a very simple question to start. It's in verse 6. He says, do you want to be healed? It seems like a rather obvious question. Do you want to be healed? Of course he wants to be healed. Who doesn't want to be healed? And the answer is sometimes we don't want to be healed. Some of us have something called Stockholm Syndrome which is a phenomenon where you fall in love with your captors. Some of us love the thing that is actually killing us. We love the thing that is killing us. We can't give it up. And that's the essence of any kind of addiction. We love the thing that is killing us. We can't get away from it. So Jesus asked him the question, do you actually want to be healed? Do you want to be healed? In order to be healed, we have to be desperate for change. We have to come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I'm desperate. I'm desperate for your presence, your power. What does Jesus say in verse 8 and 9? He hears the desperation in this man's voice. 
And he says to him, get up, take up your bed and walk. It says at once the man was healed, took up his bed and walked. D.A. Carson, the scholar says, Jesus' powerful words heals the man. Get up, anticipates the powerful voice of the Son of God on the last day, even as it exemplifies that powerful voice now. Jesus' words are healing words. In Genesis 1, God creates the world with what? Words. Here in John, Jesus is recreating this broken man with words. Jesus' words have power. Jesus' words heal and restore. It shows us the, this miracle shows us the heart of what Jesus has come to do, which is to heal us. To restore us, to recreate us. But not everyone is impressed. You know, Jesus heals this man on the Sabbath. And as we learned last week, religious leaders, they're not down with that. Uh, Verse 10, the religious leaders objected to this healing because after Jesus heals this man, this man takes up his mat and walks home. And they see that as a violation of the Sabbath. Think about that. Instead of praising God that this man is healed, they, they, they turn to this man and say, hey, that is illegal for you to carry your yoga mat home. That's, that, that's not right. They're upset about that. They, instead of praising God, they're upset about this little man-made rule that they made about the Sabbath. And the idea is that they are so spiritually blind. They're the leaders and they, are, of, of everyone, are so lost. They're so blind. In Matthew, we saw that last week, Jesus really argues with the religious leaders about the meaning of the Sabbath. And he objects to these man-made regulations. They had divided the Sabbath, the religious leaders, into 39 different categories of what you could and could not do. And in Matthew, Jesus argues with them about the, those ideas of the Sabbath. But here, Jesus takes a different track. And it's a, it's a really interesting, powerful take on the Sabbath. What does Jesus say to them? At the end of this passage, verse 16, And this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working here, Jesus actually does not deny he's working on the Sabbath. In fact, he admits, I am working on the Sabbath. But then he says, my father is working on the Sabbath. What is that about? Uh, one key cr- question that religious scholars, even in the first century, uh, talked about is this idea, it's, it's not okay for people to work on the Sabbath. But they ask, can God work on the Sabbath? And even in the first century, the religious rabbis and scholars answered that question by saying, yes, actually God does work on the Sabbath. In fact, the reason why we can take a break on the Sabbath and we cannot work is because we know God's working. The reason why we can take the Sabbath off and not worry about it is because God is working to order all things in the universe. It is not on me on the Sabbath, it's on him. I can rest on the Sabbath. What is Jesus saying here in this passage? He's saying, yeah, I'm working because my father's working. What is he saying? He, Jesus is saying, well, I am, I'm, I'm on par with God the Father. 
And just as God is working, I am God, the Son, I'm also working. It's a, it's a mind-blowing idea, and it gets us to the real heart of what Jesus is about. Jesus is saying, you can rest on the Sabbath, you can rest assured because I am working on the Sabbath, and my mission is to restore and heal my broken people on this Sabbath. That is what I've come to do. Jesus is God incarnate. And Jesus is saying, my mission is to work and restore everything broken in your life. Everything broken in your life. The gospel is the good news that Jesus has come to restore everything that is broken. We talked about the different layers. Ultimately, our relationship with God is broken. We can't see him. We can't experience. That's why Jesus comes down. So that we can see his glory. We can experience God. We can see him. Our relationship with God is broken because of our sin. That's why Jesus goes to the cross to take our debt upon himself. That tree, he is cursed for us. And he's come to bring us into relationship with God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We are socially isolated. That's why Jesus has come to bring us into a church, a new humanity, a new community. He's come to reconnect us into the true family of God. You know, even our physical, you might say, well, what about our physical bodies? Well, when Jesus comes again, he's going to say what D.A. Carson talked about, get up. He's going to restore even our broken bodies and give us a resurrected, perfect body. Jesus has come to restore every broken part of our lives. And that happens when we first repent and we believe in him. But that also continues to happen in the Sabbath. And this is the last point. Throughout the series, we've been talking about how the Sabbath can be a place for us to rest, a place for us to pray. But today, I want to talk about how the Sabbath can be a day for us to heal as well. Jesus healed on the Sabbath because he was trying to tell us that what God wants us to do on the Sabbath, he does want us to rest and reconnect. But God has also given us a Sabbath, which we now call Sunday, as a day to be healed. Well, how does that happen? And the thing I want to really just focus in on today about the Sabbath is confession. Is confession. Uh, we see that with how Jesus confronts this broken man. It seems like this man's main problem is that he's physically ill. But listen what Jesus says to him right at the very end. Verse 14. It says, afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. Jesus seems like he's really hard on this individual. You know, he is, um, he heals him, but then his parting words are, Sin no more, that nothing more, nothing worse may happen to you. We know that physical brokenness and sin are not always related. In fact, in John chapter 9, there is a man who is born blind and all the people ask him, Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents? And Jesus says, neither. This man was born blind for the, to show the glory of God. Physical sickness and spiritual sickness, they're not always related. But in this case, what Jesus says is that they are related. 
Jesus says, ultimately, the problem in your life is your sin. Ultimately, the problem, we got a lot of problems in our life, but ultimately, the biggest problem in our life is our sin. And it weighs us down. It fills us with guilt. It turns us into a direction and a way that we were not created to be. And what we need to do is uh, be brought back into a whole relationship with God. What we need is confession. You know, our culture has a real difficult time with confession. This last month, there was a scandal in Major League Baseball. I don't know if you follow Major League Baseball, but there was a huge scandal in which the winner of the World Series a couple years ago were caught by Major League Baseball uh, having cameras that were locked into the catcher who conveys signals. And this team had monitors in their clubhouse, players who saw the pitch, the, the called pitch, banged on garbage cans to signify to, the, to their hitters what the pitch was that was coming, which gave them a huge advantage. And they eventually went on to win the World Series. And this week they interviewed those players who were caught by baseball themselves. And they were wondering, people were wondering, what are they going to say? Are these players going to apologize for what they did? And almost to a man, none of them apologized. And they said things like, well, we let the fans decide uh, how, 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 how this looks. One person said, well, I don't want to talk about the past. Let's talk about the future. I'm about to, I don't want to delve into the past. That's just the past. Let's talk about right now. That's what we're talking about. And it occurred to me that uh, as a culture, not just this incident, we don't know how to confess our sins. We don't know what that, we don't know how to do that. And when someone actually confesses their sins, we don't know how to forgive them. We have a trouble confessing our sins, and we also have trouble forgiving people who've confessed their sins. And that goes all the way back to Genesis 3. When Adam and Eve were caught, they blamed each other. They blamed the serpent. They were hiding. They're trying to play hide and seek with God. That's pretty stupid. Playing hide and seek with the omniscient, omnipresent God is not going to work. But a lot of times we do that. We're hiding. We don't know how to confess. And Christianity is so different because it tells us that we don't get better from hiding or denying the truth, but the way to get better and to get healed is that we openly acknowledge what is wrong with us and what we've done. And we bring it to the presence of God, and God forgives us in an absolute perfect way. Here's the thing about God. Here's the thing about Jesus. Jesus knows the worst things about you, and he also loves you the most, more than anyone else. Let me repeat that. Jesus knows every bad thing you have ever done more than any other person. And simultaneously, Jesus is the one who loves you the most, more than anybody else. Those are two radical things. And only when you see that those two things come together in Jesus will you have the grace to confess your sins to him. Only when you know you're so radically loved and accepted, will you be able to confess everything to God? And when you do, he lifts that burden from your shoulders. He restores you. 
And you know, one of the things that we need to see is that we're we're called to confess or sins to God on the Sabbath. That's why we do something what we just did this morning, which is we have a corporate confession. That's why that's why we do that at our church. Not all churches do that, but we have a corporate confession because we need to do that on the Sabbath. The Sabbath is a day for confessing our sins. To pray prayers like, search me, O God, and know my heart. And see if there's any hurtful ways in me. And lead me in your way everlasting. But on Sabbath, we not only confess our sins to God, but also to each other. Look what James 5 says. James 5.16. This is what James tells us to do. He says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. James says, don't just confess your sins to God, but also to each other. I wish that wasn't there in the Bible. You know, I wish that we just could confess our sins to God, just privately, and I love this silently, right, in our service. But James says, no. Yeah, confess your sins to God, but also confess your sins to each other. Why do we need that? It's so easy to have false confessions when you just pray to God, isn't it? We just we, we pray confessions to God, but we don't really mean it. You know, when we confess our sins to each other, there's more weight in that confession. It's more real. Secondly, when you confess your sins to another person, another brother or sister, they're also keeping you accountable. You know, you're struggling with someone But the idea of confession is that they are there to to help you, to lift you up, to pray for you, to protect you, to keep you accountable. And when you confess your sins to a brother, a sister, you're not alone anymore. The problem with this man is that, this broken man in John chapter 5, is that he is all alone. He has no one to help lift his burdens. He has no one to confess his sins to. He has no one to take him to Jesus. He's isolated. Jesus has come to heal us, but also to bring us into the community called the church. And the church is the place where not only do we confess our sins to God, but to each other. And we carry each other's burdens. We keep each other accountable. We pray for each other. We connect in deep and meaningful relationships. And as we do that, we're walking toward the kingdom of God, where God progressively heals us. And we're walking to the new heavens and the new earth. As I close, I want to uh, share the story from Anne Lamont. Uh, I love her writing. And she writes about her conversion experience of meeting Jesus. Uh, and as we close, this is what she writes. She, she writes about the period in her life which she meets Jesus. And she says that it came right after she had an abortion. And she felt so guilty about that, that she was drinking excessively and smoking and she, she describes this experience. She says, I got in bed, shaky and sad and too wild to have another drink. And after a while, as I lay there, I became aware of something, of someone with me, hunkered down in the corner. The feeling was so strong that I actually turned on a light for a moment to make sure no one was there. But after a while, in the dark again, I knew beyond doubt it was Jesus. I felt him as surely as I felt my dog lying nearby as I write this. And I was appalled. I thought about my life and my friends. I thought about what everyone else would think of me if I became Christian. And it seemed an utterly impossible thing 
that I could simply not allow to happen. I turned to the wall and said out loud, I would rather die. But she said, I felt him sitting there in the corner of my sleeping loft, watching me with patience and love. And I squinched my eyes shut, but that didn't help because that's not what I was seeing him with. She said the feeling of Jesus being with her followed her. She eventually was passing by a church and she heard singing. She, she went into this church in her neighborhood. And she said she was so hung over she couldn't stand for the songs. But the last song was so deep and raw and pure I couldn't escape. It was as if people were singing between the notes, weeping and joyful at the same time, and felt like their voices or something was rocking me in its bosom, holding me like a scared kid. And I opened up to that feeling, and it washed over me. I began to cry, and as I reached home, I walked down to the dock past dozens of potted flowers under a sky as blue as one of God's own dream. And I opened the doors to my boat, And I shook there a minute and then I hung my head and said, I quit. I took a long, deep breath and I said out loud, all right, you can come in. She said she later visited that church again, became a member and was surrounded by by men and women who opened up their lives to her, helped her get over her addiction to alcohol, surround her with the presence of God. One of the things about Anne Lamont's story is that she says that Jesus was always there, but she just couldn't see him until that moment. John chapter 5, Jesus was present. This man could not see. We've been saying that Jesus is always there. The great problem is not that God is not present, it's that we can't see him. And this morning, God says to you, realize I am already there. I'm here to heal you. I'm here to save and rescue you. I am your great physician. I will never leave you or forsake you. I know the worst things about you. And I love you the most. Please pray with me this morning. Lord, we thank you for the stories of Jesus. And we are so shook by the love of Jesus. And we pray, God, that we, we live in, we know we live in this very unconditional world in which we're so afraid that if people really knew us, they would not love us. But we thank you that you know all about us, all of our junk, and yet we, you still love us. Father, we know that deep down inside there's so much brokenness in all of our lives. It's so complicated. It's so layered. We don't know which way to start, but we thank you that you know all about it. And then you've given us a healer, a savior. We also thank you that you've surrounded us with a community of people called your church. And we pray that this would be a church that is messy and beautiful. That has a lot of sin, but has a whole lot more grace. That we have a lot of problems, but we have the spirit of Jesus present with us. Pray that you would be continuously healing us, leading us. We pray more and more we would die to all the things that are killing us and we would live in your light, in your truth, and we would experience your peace. Pray that the Sundays that we meet together would be healing, would be powerful, that would set us free. 
we give you thanks. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.